This Drives Unfiltered, episode 18. We're almost 20 episodes in. Before we get uh, to introduce our special guest, Isaac, how are you and how's everything? Almost 20 episodes in. This has been a fun ride throughout this, this pod, I would say. You know, through the lockout, now back into the regular season. Actually, we actually have a lot more to talk about. Yeah, um, things could be going better, you know, with the team so far, but I'm very excited for, for our very special guest in today's episode. Yeah, today we have someone who Isaac and I have looked up for years. Um, getting a chance to talk to him, learn from him now that we're up there in the press box this season. Isaac uh, spoke to him last season. He's a former writer for MLB.com, now founder of Man on Second Base, which is partnered with Five Reasons Sports. Joe Frasaro, thank you for coming on. How are you? And uh, we're very honored and excited oh. to have you on. Oh, guys, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on with you guys. Uh, enjoy seeing you guys at the park and getting to know you guys a little bit better. And, uh, and, and it's good to and appreciate that, you know, all the kind words you guys have to say. And like Isaac said, uh, the team's a little bit of a rut, but I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, and, you know, before we start talking about that aforementioned rut, you know, just sort of talk to us a little bit about men on second and how you, be, you began that and why you began that, you know, after 19 seasons covering the Marlins on the beat. You know, I've been, you know, reading your stuff forever. So just how did that come to fruition? Yeah, at the 2020 season, now I, I did 18 years at MLB.com and the, the 20 to 2020 season was, was taxing on, on everyone, um, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, we went to zoom and, and, you know, it, it's, it's somebody that's used to being around uh, the team, you know, you know, on a personal level, getting to know everybody, seeing everybody. Um, and that's how I was used to it and everything. And then, an opportunity after that uh, came that uh, I was presented with an early retirement package that made a lot of sense. And I, I was kind of leaning toward that being my last year anyway on the beat. I would have probably tried to transition to doing something else at, at MLB afterward. But when that came about, um, I, I took the early retirement after the 2020 season. Uh, I think I announced it in December and it took effect at the end of that year. And and I also looked at I was young enough to, to say if I want to you know, try something else. First of all, I, I was sitting back saying, do I even want to kind of do sports rights? And I did it either at newspapers or MLB.com for almost 40 years. Uh, now is the opportunity to try to be a little creative, maybe do something entrepreneurial. Uh, I'm like, okay, I could always do, you know, start a, start a podcast or, or start a blog and to stay writing. And um, so I, I came up with an idea and um, named it Man on Second as kind of a, you know, a metaphor for me because at the time, you know, I was looking at it as the extra bit, the extra inning rule came into baseball where they put the ghost runner at second base. And to me, it was like almost symbolic. So I am the man on second, you know, metaphorically because my career isn't over, just like the game isn't over, but it's late in the game. So uh, allowed me to do that. Uh, people seem to like the name. I kind of was funny because I was so identified as the MLB.com that almost immediately I'd scout friends and other people, Hey man, on second, you know, so, um, you know, so it's kind of good and, and we're growing it now. And with the podcasting, uh, I'm also doing a little freelancing for the Palm beach post. Um, a, a guy I used to my, and many moons ago, I used to cover the Buccaneers in Tampa for the Tampa Tribune. Right. And, and he's a sports editor in Palm beach and, and which is Gannett owned and they own a good number of papers around the state, including Pensacola and Jacksonville. So I'm doing a weekly, like five, you know, five takeaways um, and pretty much anything I pitched is so far used. I pitched in the gallon jazz, uh, you know, showdown a few nights ago. 
uh, did a Logan Gilbert story, which the Lakeland paper picked up on. You know, I, I, one thing I like to do at Man on Second is we have a lot of great baseball players from the state of Florida, and I like to magnify them. I, you know, shine a little more light on them. And and then the other day, Paven Smith, I know he, he stuck a dagger in Marlin, in the Marlin fan's heart with that two-run homer, but he's from Jupiter. You know, the kid grew up, you know, like you guys probably did, going to Roger Dean Stadium watching spring training games. You know, the, the guy was at the 2013 World Baseball Classic. He grew up like you guys probably if you're not too, too young, you know, watching Cabrera on the 03 team and and those guys. So, you know, Pavin is a worthwhile story, even though now he's with Arizona. So that's where, man, on second, I feel I'm filling the void where I could have a voice, not just on Marlins, uh, but also telling the stories of baseball. I, I wanted to be more conversational um, and, and analytical in terms of analysis, not just breaking down numbers, which you, you guys do a great job of fish stripes on that. Uh, but, you know, there there's stories behind a lot of these players. And I, in my own way, want to kind of help relay those stories. Yeah. And you've done an amazing job at doing, as you've mentioned to us right now. I mean, you know, man on second base. I know you were with the Palm Beach Post, Palm Beach Post when I went to a spring training. And that was a great article. I read it myself. So great stuff from you, Joe. Let's move on to the Marlins now. Your thoughts on the season so far. They're currently standing at the moment of the recording. With 12 wins, 13 losses, they're on a five-game losing streak, if I'm correct. Uh, they just lost yeah. to the Padres last night, 2-1. And it was a good game through for Luzardo, besides those two bombs that he gave up to Manny Machado. But just your thoughts on this season so far, which actually has been pretty positive. Some some positives, some negatives, for sure. Yeah, you know, when I kind of – I try to – you know, we get caught up in the moment of a game or a, a series or, you know, a short segment of games, and we kind of try to define the year that way. And, and one thing I've learned in 20 years of doing, you know, baseball like this level, it's like, you, you got to let, let things play out and the six months kind of defines it. And if you kind of were going to look and say what on, on May 6th, that the Marlins would be one game under 500. I go back to what was my preseason prediction? I thought they were a 78 to 80 win team. So just on the fringe of being, you know, to keep in mind, they lost 95 last year. Yes, they've made upgrades. But they're they're kind of right right there, so they they are where they are. I don't think they're a ten game over like kind of run away with it like the Mets are kind of built to do. The Braves, you know, haven't caught fire yet, but they're kind of built to do. Uh, but I think they are playoff. I think they're a wild card caliber team, and you're going to have ups and downs. And and you know, I look at some basic numbers. You know, sometimes I try to simplify things when I do an analysis of where the team is. Uh, and first and foremost, I believe that starting pitching will hold up and it will be fine. But keep this in mind, guys. Uh, in April, they had a 305. The starting pitcher's ERA was 305, and they had a winning April. The four losses in Miami before Lizardo's loss last night in San Diego, which he pitched masterfully, they had a 916 ERA, and, you know, the, the starter ERA. They're certainly not that. They had a bad rut through. So I go down, I look, how are they going to, they're, they're still to me a top 10 rotation in baseball. So they're going to pitch, in my opinion, in the upper third. Uh, last year, they hit in the bottom third. You can't pitch in the top third and hit in the bottom third and be a playoff team. So I'm like, what, where do they need to be hitting wise to be a legit fight for that fifth, six wild card type spot? Uh, I think they got to be at least middle. I think at least 15 and up. Obviously, if they could be top 10, it'd be great. But they got to be close enough. And and right now, if you look at their batting average, which it's not a big thing, but it's 15th. Um, run scored is 
tied for 20th. Keep in mind, last year they were either like 29th or 30th yeah. in runs. Uh, home runs, they're 21. Last year they're at the bottom or two in homers. And their on-base percentage is in the top 10, actually. At 319, it's pretty good as a team. So I'm looking at it as these are encouraging signs that their offense, it's there. Yeah. If they could just be more consistent, yes, they lost five straight, but what they all five one-run games, right? Yes. You know, so there is a degree of some bad luck mixed in with a win or two. Then they may be a game or two over instead of a game under as we're doing this podcast. So I, I think, and when you keep this in mind, the guys who are slumping the most are the two veteran guys you spent a lot of money on uh, in Jorge Soler and obviously Al Gar Garcia. They're both hitting under 200. I didn't see that coming that, you know, that they're going to be at that level, but they're proven to be better than that. So I think once they pick it up, I'm a little concerned about Jesus Sanchez. And the reason why is I think a lot's falling on his plate. You know, this kid, we everyone was kind of thinking he's going to lead team homers. 30 homers are going to be easy. But, you know, in the last 15 games, 47 ABs, 22 strikeouts. That's a little concerning because now they teams have figured him out. The adjustments, you always hear that. And you guys, the more you follow the game, you'll see. And I try to look at things in two two week periods. You know, look at the first of the month as one, you know, one set of things and then the midpoint and see because teams that kind of tells you a little bit. And so is are they on Sanchi at that now he's got to flip it back, you know, that I hope he does it really fast because you don't want that to compound itself. Overall numbers for him still not bad, 244, uh, 309, 439, uh, his slash line. But little concern that, you know, with the other guys not hitting, more's on him to hit. So that's where you need Garcia and Soler to kind of, and Cooper, those type of guys, Aggie, to kind of pave the way so Jazz doesn't have to carry you six months and where Sanchi doesn't have to carry you as well, that they could be the complementary players allowed to flourish with more veterans around them. Yeah, not only that, you have the whole new learning curve of learning center field on top of Jesus Sanchez's plate. Which, and he's you know, done fine out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some bad routes, but overall, he, you know, he's made yeah. the plays he's supposed to make. Out towards center, and Sanchez a diving play. Ticketed for the gap, and Sanchez closed on it to take a hit. Maybe extra bases away from Jerickson Profar. Yeah, to you know. me, I've been pleasantly surprised with Jesus Sanchez defensively for sure. You know, because there were some concerns him being in the corner outfields last year. You know, he did have some some sketchy plays, but he looks, he's looked great so far in center field and a very tough center field to say the least. I'm going to segue over to just the rotation a little bit. Like you mentioned, the last five games, all five losses, one turn through the rotation. This is a team that's built around the pitching. And when they struggle, when Sandy and Pablo and Trevor all struggle, it's not a surprise that they all they lose all those games. I want to get your thoughts on Trevor Rogers. you know, concerning start to the season. He did have a bad first start last season as well, but this has carried into, you know, four starts already. And about LEH, the two sort of maybe weak links to start the season. Yeah, we'll start with Trevor because last year if you – you picked on up. There was something different about him in spring training, and and I don't pay a ton of attention to spring training stats, but re, with a pitcher, you could see ball out of hand and just you know the life of the pitch, you know the movement, you know the the, the swings by the hitters in terms of are they seeing it well, and and the ball was just coming out of his hand differently. And I'm not talking just throwing 96 or whatever because you could have 96 with could be flat, you know. The ball came out of his hand differently last year than this year. Now, what was different on the positive side, it wasn't as good. But then again, it was like Sandy Koufax last year, Randy Johnson last year. It was it was like exceptionally good. Nobody could touch him. 
So to, for him not to be that dominant is not surprising. The, he was working on the slider, which has become an improved pitch for him. Um, the velo's there, so there's no real injury. It's just I don't see the ball out of his hand with the same, the same life, the same finish that he's had on his pitches. And, and so, you know, was last year the one year where he kind of really, especially the first half, where he really kind of took off and, and that was what, you know, his, his ceiling um, is still plenty good. And there's still plenty of teams that would want him and the Marlins included. And, but I'm just, just noticing life of pitches. It, it hasn't been the same pitcher that said, who's to say 10 starts in something clicks. And next thing you know, his arms a little looser, the ball, he's got a little more feel for secondary pitches. I'm, I'm not really worried about him. Um, you know, I think I think Trevor will be fine. My my view of Eli Iser is what it's always been. He is he is exactly who he is. He's a four to five inning, you know, swing fifth starter slash long reliever. Varsho, right center field. That ball's got a chance. That ball is gone. Dalton Varsho. Here come the Diamondbacks. All seemed lost. Bumgarner ejected. Miami got three quick ones, and the Diamondbacks have roared to life here in the fourth. That that's what he always is. You know, he, he you know I've seen him pitch plenty of times where it looked like, hey man, he's going to go seven innings today because he's breezing through four, and then the fifth inning come, comes, he gets one out, and he's out of the game, and he's got two two inherited runners and maybe two runs in. He's still that's still plenty good for who he who he is, and I mean they they got him as a rule five out of, out of high A ball. And, and got a guy, you know, he's always kind of dealt with a little bit of the blister issue. And I think after X number of pitches, that kind of flares up on him. I'm not sure as much this year, but it has been an issue in the past with him. But he has been kind of that, not everyone goes 6-7. Those are your ones and twos and sometimes your threes, um, you know, that that do that. So I think Eliezer is fine. Now you're, you're leading to what what's next for him is – have they kind of maximized, you know, him as a starter? And because we know there's a, somebody down in AAA who's <laughs> knocking on the door to, to kind of step in whenever. Uh, or they did, they want to run Ellie Icer out and figure they got four really solid starters and then a very serviceable fifth starter, even though he's lined up when he came out of the blocks for, he, he is their fifth starter essentially in terms of his ability. Um Ellie Iser, you know, a lot of teams can win, you know, with him as a fifth starter. Oh. Yeah, I'm with you. And you, you mentioned that guy knocking on the door at AAA. I assume you're not talking about Brian Hoeing. You're talking about, you know. Not third. yet, although I'm hearing good things about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about third overall pick, Max Meyer in the 2020 draft. This guy has been nothing short of dominant ever since he put on a professional uniform. I don't think there's anything left for him to prove. I was an advocate for him to make the team out of spring training in the bullpen or in the rotation, but preferably in that bullpen. Just, you know, just get him facing some major league hitters. They said I'm not in AAA, probably the right move. But now, you know, you have Eliezer Hernandez, who's not pitching so well. What That's the biggest controversy for this team so far, I would think. Where where do you stand on when Max should be up? Is it have they waited too long or should they do it now or should they wait a little bit? I mean, they clearly have their plan and development and, and minor league numbers are what they are. Uh, they, 
I think they would like to see a little bit more of the third pitch, meaning the changeup, the, no. the fastball command has been there. We know the slider is his best pitch. And the changeup, he's not a starter unless you have three pitches. No one's, a, you know, you have to have three, three at least average pitches to be a dependable rotation piece. And I think, you know, that's part of it. Uh, but on top of that, I, I'm with you, Isaac. I thought he could have made a case to be in the opening day, you know, not necessarily just on the roster, however they wanted to do it. And I thought, I thought that made sense in a lot of ways because this year, this, the new CBA has removed a whole worrying about service time manipulation. I was taken off the board. So you, you could have, you knew that Flora was on the, the IL, um, you know, you could have, in my opinion, put him back there. Um, I'm, I'm in the same camp with, with Edward Cabrera on this too. The only thing with Edward is the just health right now, you know, just right. having making sure that arm's fine. But I, I look at both of them the same way. If you want to, if you feel you, you need, you know, pitching's their strength. And that's your, that's what's going to close the gap and make you a, a playoff team is your pitching. This was the year to, to kind of do that, take a guy immediately in, not worry about service time manipulation or anything, and, and get Max here, whether they want him to be in the rotation or the bullpen. They've gone this far, so the rotation seems to be it. Um, you know, I, I brought up on, on other podcasts uh, about what, uh, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, right? He, he's 21. He was like number three, I think Pipeline's number three overall prospect. We saw him in his first major league homer uh, the other day off of Sandy um, at our place. And he's up. You know, Grayson Rodriguez is, you know, regarded generally as the best pitching prospect in baseball. The Orioles are very close to bringing him up. I think the right now, I think you're seeing these teams that think they have a chance are, are turning to their kids, their top prospects right away and getting them up here. So in that regard, you know, the, the Marlins, are, they're, they kind of puzzle me a little bit with some of their process because – and they, they could always make a reason, and I give them the benefit of the doubt. They know the players in there, where they are in that day, much better than we do. But, they, you know, they're – you know, they, they put the training wheels on Jazz, hit them ninth to come out because they say he's not ready. They entrust Sanchi. And then, you know, put him there. They say they're never going to pinch hit for, you know, Garcia and Soler. And, you know, and they're struggling. And then after 10 days or eight days, whatever it was, Jazz is leading off. And, you know, and then it's like, you know, they they go with 13 pitchers instead of 14 when to me that was the obvious call. It would have meant Dela Cruz gets sent down on Monday or whenever May 1st was to – when the rosters were allowed to, when the rosters shrunk, but MLB gave you one more month to add a, add an arm. I think they got a little cavalier thinking, oh, we don't need an extra pitcher. Our starters are going to go deep. And then immediately all the four, their four starters all don't go deep. The bullpen's exhausted because I'm looking, if you're thinking of playoffs, you got to preserve these guys now. You know, and I would have even been a little creative with Max. If you if you thought Max wasn't even fully built up, which he was because the minor leaguers were in town a month. That's yeah. when I saw Isaac for the first time back in, in what, February. Yeah. Um, that you if you wanted to piggyback those guys, if you let's say you wanted Max three innings and Ellie Iser three and make almost like a bullpen thing, you could do creative things in the first month as guys kind of get acclimated, uh, just things to help you win. 
because I'm at this point. Look, you, I'm not saying bring Yuri Perez up because he's probably one of their top five arms. But, you know, one of your five best arms is not – big league ready is not on your roster right now. Right. And meanwhile, the Mets are five and a half ahead of you. You know, so how much distance do you want them to get? At, you know, and, and you know what? If you fall out of it and you have to, you know, temper innings later in the year with these guys, you can rein them in then. But, you know, you get Meyer involved right now with, a, with meaningful games to try to get you involved, whether it's, like I said, a, an opener, a regular, let them go six, seven innings if you can do it uh, in the big leagues. But I would have had him up here already. So that's the answer to that question. You know. Yeah, and I want to go quickly back to Trevor. You mentioned loose arm, and something that I noticed is he only made what one or two starts in spring training in an actual spring training game. You know, because when yeah. they did make starts, it was in the backfield against AAA prospects. He didn't get to face those major leaguers. I don't know if that's definitely an impact to what it could be. And with with Elliot, yeah. I don't know if no, I was going to say real yeah. quick, uh, wait, Kevin, not to interrupt you there, but with Trevor, Trevor, sometimes you're you're put back there for for a reason. Okay, they may not want you to either see the team because right. it's a division, or maybe you're working on something, or maybe there were things that hey, maybe is this uh, change up, whatever wasn't wasn't as sharp. That when you have them on those backfields, you can control it better. But to your point, um, they didn't do that too much. They did a one last start with Sandy, but you know, Trevor. That's that's normally to me a sign that he's not 100% right in terms of not necessarily health, but how yeah. he's throwing the ball. Yeah, and I think what you what you said on Max Meyer is just perfect. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. that guy needs to be on a major league roster. I mean, I think you could have started Eliezer in the bullpen this season, especially as you mentioned, Flora was out. So maybe Eliezer in that bullpen and having Meyer at that four spot would have helped out. So I want to ask you about one more guy in the rotation before I go into the next question. I want to ask you about Hazel Suzardo, you know, from 2021, a little bit shaky. Now making these incredible starts, went seven innings last night. He was taken out during the seventh, but he went probably one, in one of the deepest games this season and just pitched an absolute gem, gave up two homers to Manny Machado, but who blames him? It's Manny Machado. The guy is just ha- ha- is having an incredible season. So just want to get your take on Luzardo. Yeah, wasn't one of those homers like 98? 98 on the inner half. I think a fastball, 98, and I think he yeah. just the second. One of them was the first curveball. The next one, one of them was a meatball. Yeah, yeah, he hung the curveball to him. He took him to center, and the other was like 98. Yeah. Um, I always find it interesting when the South Florida kids match up against each other because you, you know they're, they they kind of got that like that little edge that they they have. Um, Lazard has been great. I mean, uh, no other way to put it. Uh, and I think Mel Mel deserves a lot of credit with him. A lot of it is. Where he got in trouble, uh, where Lazar got in trouble is his delivery wasn't always on time, which led to a lot of a lot of balls and a lot of walks and a high walk rate. What they've done really well with him, and I was kind of breaking it down. He's thrown four pitches, but really the two pitches that are defining him right now are the fastball and the curveball. And he's throwing them almost the same, like 30, I think the fastball, I think last night, it's 33% and the curveball, 30%. And when he's throwing 98 to 99, 4.4, I think was his fastest. So he's basically, you know, flirting with 100 miles an hour. Um, and the curveball being a, a strike pitch, that he's throwing that enough for strikes that he will get, and his fastball for strikes, he will get chases. So yeah, you, it was a 52 chase rate there. Um, he's going to get chases because he's around the zone that much that he doesn't have to be in the zone with that breaking ball. 
And then he mixes, and I think there's a, a changeup in a sinker, I think, uh, round up what he throws. Um, but, you know, those two pitches are, are defining him. But the, the corrections that Mel has done with, the, you know, getting him more on time that he's, he's in sync is his arm. You know, a shorter pitcher sometimes have a little bit of an issue being on, being on time. Taller guys could get their arm, and you know, I don't want to get too much into the – the sausage making of pitching, but, uh, but, you know, he, he's got him where he's around the plate, you know, and, and he's winning those three, two battles. So, you know, even though the walk rate isn't, you know, what he had three walks last night, but one was to Manny. And actually yeah. I tweeted that like, yes. someone's like, uh, I'm like, just walk him. You know, that's the one guy that can beat you tonight. So don't even take a chance with it. Um, and, you know, so I don't mind the unintentional, intentional walk. So, Seven Ks, three walks. I think he's at what over eleven K per nine, and it's just a little over four walks per nine. You know, if you're not giving up many hits, your your whip is down. And I think I noticed that too. His whip was down from like one point seven a year ago, whatever it was, to like one point one. So it's basically half a yeah. basically what half a batter less than inning is on base, and and so you're gonna you're gonna avoid you're gonna avoid trouble. Um, you know, we want to see if he can do this over a sustained period. It's good to have a great first five starts. But if you're going to establish yourself as a legitimate mid, probably mid-rotation guy is what I really would have him as a ceiling, uh, rather than a back end is, are you going to hold up for, you know, six months? And, you know, are you going to be able to do that seventh inning like we saw Pablo's done, Sandy's given the eight, you know, that occasional, but, but all, a lot of props to Lazardo last night because if he was out of the game in the third or fourth inning yesterday, he could have set this road trip off. Even though they didn't win the game, he could have set this road trip off in a bad way if yeah. they had to burn out another long reliever. Because once you burn out your long relievers, you're you're in for a bad stretch. Yeah, and you mentioned the the whip for Lazardo in 2021. It was 1.6. This year, he's off to a 1.06 start for Lazardo. Yeah, just immense you know potential for him i agree with you maybe a number two at best but he's a mid-rotation guy for me you mentioned the long reliever i guess we can segue into the bullpen a little bit i think you know they improved it on like almost the last day of spring training with solcer and scott that was a huge upgrade for them they needed it but obviously the ninth inning has continued to be an issue for a long time ever since you know i think brandon kinsler was the last time they had a legitimate guy out there but what do you do how do you fix that hole well, Floro coming back would help. Um, you know, if you're not going to make Meyer it, you know, right. uh, if that's not your your closer, and I'm talking more second half, not just bring Max up and make him be a big league closer the right to debut. Um, you're going to have to go with with Bender, Solcer, and and Floro, and you're probably going to have to do matchups. And uh, just, they just they didn't address. You know, they they put their their allocated their financial resources on two outfielders. You know, and then they. Uh, they did actually sign Richard Blyer for six mil, and they and they re-upped uh, Mickey. You know, so that's where they allocated their dollars. And by the time I don't, I'm one of those, you know, okay, let's say you have a eighty million dollar budget or a hundred million dollar budget. If you don't get the players you want, you just don't spend the hundred million on and just throw stupid money at, at and you know you get three, you could spend on spend two hundred million if you want to give. Guys worth five million, ten million, you know, uh, you know, just to say you you spent the money. Um, by the time they got in the reliever market, it was too late. The relievers already off the board, and which put them in that point where they had to trade for it, um, and and so they they boxed themselves in. I'm not quitting on Bender just yet, and and I'll tell you why because I think he's still. I think metrically, even will say it, 
he's their nastiest reliever. I mean, in terms of his his slider yeah. and his fastball, probably grayed out the best. Now, I thought Orin Sibia made a JP made a great point on the on the two run homer to to um, Paven Smith the other day. Um, he noted that with left handed hitters like that or whatever, you don't want to throw that pitch in. You don't want to throw it to the one spot where they could get you and and have their best chance of hitting it out. I think that type of stuff with is is where Bender needs to learn, you know, where he's got to learn to execute the pitch and know where to go not to be beaten. Because a single at that point in the game doesn't beat you. The two-run homer beats you. Right. Yeah, actually, you know, you got to look and see who, you know. I know yeah. he gave up a hit already. But, but you know, he, you know, you don't necessarily, if he gets a hit, even if he gets hit and it's first and third with one out, you still can, you still could get out of that. You get a strikeout or a double play ground ball. You know, it's, it's a lot easier, but, you know, you're, you're not pitching into the wheelhouse of the hitter. Uh, so I, I'm, I want to give Bender more opportunity, but, you know, I, and then Salser seems probably a little more dependable, but, um, you know, you're going to need at least two. If you're going to be a playoff team, because so you're hopefully winning four to five, five in a row, and your closer can't just go every night, so you're going to need that second one. Second one. I, I really think that they, to address the bullpen and Donnie, when I asked him the other day about when Floro gets back, he's like he'll he won't just come in and be closer right away. But but Dylan's uh, he's pitching the postseason. He knows. Right. I think he even pitching a World Series. Yes. You know, he knows he knows what the 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 pressure is. So you know. After that, I, I might, you know, I don't know, is Edward Cabrera the closer? Is Max Meyer a closer? I mean, you've got, you've got inventory in your minor leagues that if you wanted to kind of utilize these players in certain ways, I think you could address your, your closer within unless you, you know, you move either Aggie or Coop to make room for Lewin and try to get, you know, some, try to get a reliever in the middle of the year. These are potential moves that you can make. But I think they they've been committed to keeping their veteran hitters and and trying to see how that goes as long as they're in it. So um, you could always make a trade for a for you know a closer or someone who can handle high leverage that you could put in the closer spot. Uh, but I, I would ex- I would explore if nothing else, at least the two options I mentioned. And there's probably somebody else that in the minor leagues I'm just not thinking about that could give help in the pen if they wanted it. Yeah, when it comes to Bender, I think, you know, his struggles post um, sticky stuff, you know, takedown in the middle of last year, he's been okay, as we mentioned on Fish Stripes Live last night as well. And I think with him, that you mentioned that breaking ball to the wheelhouse of left-handed batters, he has not been able to command that pitch whatsoever all year long. If you remember the Washington series, yep. that y- Yadiel got him. He left it. Even he left a breaking ball to Lucius Fox. If Lucius Fox was good, yeah. that ball's over the fence or with no win, he's hitting the ball out. Mm-hmm. Michael Franco, he left one right there. I know he's a right-handed batter. He left the breaking ball right in his wheelhouse as well. So I think it's a real – it'd be very risky if Miami were to give him another opportunity in the ninth inning. And then regarding the two guys you mentioned, I would give Edward Cabrera the higher floor of making him in the rotation just because he has so many more pitches. I would say, yes. you know, I think definitely Edward Cabrera, I don't think they would want – I hope they don't experiment with him. Max Meyer would be the real intriguing option to see how he would fare as a Josh Hader type guy who could go multiple innings and just strike everybody out. I think that would be a guy who I would, yeah. I would try it on opening day. They, they're they in a much better situation now if he's on the opening day bullpen, which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And those are good points. Kevin, you got what do you have on that? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. No, I, I was saying um, 
with with Bender, and you make all valid points. And and trust me, I'm not saying oh, just roll him out there no matter what. Uh, you just with with him, you know, he's if he's not the ninth, he's your eighth. I mean, he's yeah. he's got to be your back end. Um, yeah. I'm just saying that there's and and you make valid points on the sticky stuff, but the guy has quality pitches, and it's the first half of the year. It's just May that you want to at least see. You know, is it in there? Because something might just trigger. You know, you, all you need is maybe that one thing, maybe that one outing where it all comes together for him, and boom, all of a sudden you got you got a very dependable high leverage guy, which was kind of, and then he's got that that confidence back when he started off like whatever twenty innings or whatever it was without a run yeah. to to start his career. Uh, maybe you recaptured that. Not everyone's cut out for it. You know, I, I've said this a few times. Brought up with Larry Beinfest, the old uh, former. Uh, President of Baseball Ops here with the Marlins said, "You're not a closer until you close." Yeah. You know, we we could you know he we could we could talk about it now, but who knows? Maybe the moment to get to Max. You know, until you do it, you know, you you don't know. But you know, we I don't think it would. But you know, you you want to you you put him out there and and you give him a little bit of an leash. And I think that's where the seven game win streak helped them, even though they've lost five in a row and they're one under. It bought them some. It bought them some time. They're not ten right. under. Where right. now? Oh my gosh! You know how are we going to get back in? You don't want to slip too far under, but you know you you're still you still are in a pretty decent spot to to allow your players to you know to figure it out. But it was interesting what you said about about uh, Meyer and Hader because uh, yeah, that could be a if you need him the eighth or ninth inning. Maybe he doesn't pitch next night. But, you know, let's say you need six outs against the Braves or against the Mets, yep. and you want him to navigate through Lindor, Alonzo, uh, Marte, whoever, whatever the order is, the top, maybe go Nimmo on down, uh, and then, you know, worry about the next night, the next night, yep. and you like your matchups there, you take those two innings or those, you know, four outs, whatever he ends up you need to get. Uh, but you know, I think he's a, a different type of weapon for him. Yeah, and the only – I guess with Eddie, the only reason I would give him a little bit more leverage when it comes to him being a starter is because he did it last season. It wasn't the best outing, but but he did it. He got the experience. And something I found very interesting is, I know you saw this, Isaac. I don't know if you saw it, Joe, but on Baseball America, I think it was like a prediction. On 2025, they had him as a closer, which I found very intriguing. And that's just something very weird at the same time. I guess things were different during that time when they made that list because they even had Cooper at DH in, from 2025. But... That Meyer hater comp would be very nice. If we could get Meyer in that bullpen, just if they could get Meyer in the bullpen, I mean, that would be very cool. Especially you put him as a closer. You know you have a guy who is a shutdown closer, who has starting experience, who could get through the lineup multiple times, and all he has to do is get three outs. I think that will definitely help the Marlins, especially when you spoke, when you said, Joe, this team's going to be winning games, four to five games in a row. They're going to need more than one closer. And I want to ask before we go into uh, some other things I wanted to get to here. Uh, why not Cole Solcer? Why have they maybe tried out Tanner Scott at that closer's role before maybe a Cole Solcer who did it last season in such a hitter-friendly ballpark like Camden Yards? Um, uh, well, this year's not a city-friendly in Camden Yards. No, not. Uh, but um, I think it's the velocity and and the you know he's the upper nineties uh, and the lefty. So I think. I could see Scott against, you know, maybe like the Phillies if you wanted to match him with, you know, Schwarber, Harper. You know, if you wanted to, to let's say a, a ninth inning a rose there. Uh, but I, yeah, I have no problem with Solcer doing it. I just don't know whether he's, you know, you're, I don't know if I'd just anoint him no matter what. 
Uh, I'm sure they're looking at matchups. He might be a little more. I'm, I'm just saying because I haven't completely broken him down. Maybe he's a little more of a ground ball guy. Maybe the maybe a swing and miss pitch a little more of a slider. Uh, you know that that type of thing. Uh, uh, I, I imagine it. Imagine that's matchups, and I'll give I'll give the benefit of the doubt yep. that that they're at least getting the right matchups. The results may not always fall into place. But uh, Scott, from what I heard, actually from the time the trade was made, there are nights you think he is Josh Hader. And on other nights, he's throwing the ball to the backstop, and I think we've seen both happen. And you know, and so um, that's my only concern with Scott is just where's the, where's the the delivery going to be? Is is this the night he's on or or off? And you know, the last thing managers and pitching coaches want is uncertainty in the car. You know, you kind of want to know, have a general feel. What am I getting tonight? And not such a dramatic extreme, but. Yeah, I asked you because Solster has been coming in, especially in that Arizona series. He came in the eighth inning two out of the three games, and he dominated. I think he shut out the side in the third game, and then the second game he almost did the same thing. But the last guy I wanted to ask before we go on to uh, Miguel Rojas, I wanted to get into him a little bit, is about Anthony Bass. I mean, one of the guys who's probably been one of the biggest improvements from 2021 to 2022 would have been your thoughts on him. I guess he's really adapted to that role of being the sixth inning, seventh inning guy, which is – which is amazing. I, I don't think he should be a closer anytime soon because I don't want to risk it. But, you know, just what an improvement he's made from 21 to 22. Kevin, you, if you cover this sport long enough or see it, be around it long enough, uh, pitch relievers are so unpredictable. And a lot of times yeah. it's like if you have a great year, anticipate a down year. If you had the down year, anticipate the, the you have the same guy over three years could be up, down, up. And so part of that, I think, is some of it has to deal with usage. Like you could be used so much in the year you were hot that you you wear down the next year. Um, you know, you might have to be dealing with a little fatigue or, or something and and your numbers go down. And then now you're out of the you know, the managers don't trust you in those situations. So you may be now you threw 40 innings a year instead of 70 to 80. Uh, now the next year, you know, you kind of refound your, your groove. One pitch comes back. Uh, the thing that you need to know about Anthony Bass is he's been around forever. Um, you know, he's more than just a survivor. He's a, an established big league uh, reliever that I'm not totally shocked he would have a bounce back caliber year, especially after a down year. Just that's just kind of that's just kind of their nature. It's like you you buy low, you sell high. That's that's why I'm I'm not really big on signing, you know, free agent relievers to a lot of money. Like, yeah, OK, like like. It's really risky when you, because you're you're not necessarily getting what you think you pay for, you know, because they they are that hot and cold. I think if you if you noticed, um, you know, again, some some of the executives I've covered for many years would always say that the biggest headaches they have is building a bullpen because they never really know how to do it. Because once you think you do, you find out you don't. You know, yeah. you you know the Braves seem to find, have a really good system of getting different looks. I know yeah. the Marlins have gone that way. My general feeling on bullpen is kind of almost like starters now. Now, obviously, you need two pitches. Starter, you need three. Uh, you know, but a reliever two. And I want guys who strike guys out. You need, you know, uh, uh, you you need strikeout pitchers. So that's my my not. You know, when I go for who they have. Uh, last couple of years or even Brandon Kinsler who what and that was a shortened year yeah. but you know he wasn't a big heavy strikeout guy and I think uh when Inoceros yeah. was on uh 
doing, you know, from the athletic, he did the stat, the, the stat Saturday, two weeks ago on the, on the Valley sports, Florida. Uh, they brought him in as a guest and he mentioned, I thought something that really resonated with me is like league average BABIP is 300. So think about it. If you're, if you're a closer and you don't average at least one and a half to two strikeouts an inning, the yeah. balls being, and if you don't uh, strike out a guy in inning, then you're uh, three balls in play, yeah. pretty much one of those three is a hit, and maybe two of them are. Next thing you know, you're you're in you're in trouble. You don't know where the ball's going when uh, you know based on Babbitt. So I I would rather remove that, and uh, and I, again, that's why I'm like, you know what, <laughs> Max Myers can. I know that slider's going to strike out bigly. You know that that's that's there. So I got I got probably you know when Craig Kimbrell was with the Braves dominating. He was averaging two strikeouts an inning. Yeah. So basically, two two guys are struck out and the other out. It's going to be hard to get three hits and get a run off me with with, with balls in play that I'm not going to pre- probably get my third out before I give up the tying run or blow the lead. Yeah, and the relievers they can be as fickle as the weather in Miami, so it's tough. And you you mentioned like signing big time free agent relievers, even trading for them can be problematic. You see Fernando Rodney, you see Craig Kimbrell as of last year. You, Great with the Cubs, goes to the White Sox, ERA over five. So it's really tough to build a, a major league bullpen. I want to a lot of mileage on those arms. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. And one guy we do want to talk about is the captain, Miguel Rojas. I don't know where you where you fall on that. I I'm under the impression I think Kevin agrees that you know his days of starting every single day. I don't know if he does that on a playoff contending team on a division winning team i don't know your thoughts i i think that if they're going to start him i think it should be against lefties only i know he, he will give you a good at bat he will always do that he'll give you gold glove defense at short but it's starting to become a little bit of a liability against right-handed pitchers and my view is hey if they're going to play the numbers with jazz and Hayes and sit them why not sit him that's a real interesting point because i think brian anderson should be playing more you know, I think Joey Wendell should be playing more. There you know what go. I mean? So uh, this is where I know, I know like you guys are big uh, Dela Cruz, you know, fans, but you no. know, it was like, you had, no, you can't just have too many, you can't have too many players, you know, it, it's coming at the expense of, you know, this isn't a high school baseball team where, yo, I could throw this guy out or whatever. It's you, you need consistent at bats. Yeah. So I think this ties to your point that, um, you know, if they're going to play that game with jazz, then they really, you know, should be playing it with everyone. And, you know, you're not necessarily going to pinch it with Aguilar. He's been a hundred RBI guy in the big leagues. And, you know, you would say that about Soler and Garcia, but when you're hitting at this reading, 167 for Soler and 171 for Garcia, and, you know, neither has hit a ton of homers. I know Soler is three, but, you know, it's like you, you're going to have to kind of do that. Like you say, the mixing and matching, um, now, could Mickey pick it up? Of course. You know, could he just be off to a slow start? Yeah, of course. But I think they've kind of put themselves in that that position of, you know, they're they're going to double switch. They're going to defensive replace. You know, Mickey has played first base this year, you know, uh, to make room for, for Wendell. Um, and the fact that I think that Anderson needs to play more, yeah. uh, it ties into something's got to give. So I – you know, you, you, I think now going down to the to uh, what 12, uh, 12 position players, yeah. you know, Birdie will be probably in the outfield a little more. Andy will probably be in the outfield a little more. Um, so I think that you probably will now see a little bit more of a true rotation. I think it was harder to get to get everybody in the you know playing time enough. 
before. Um, I mean, their roster, their their flexibility in their roster is limited a little bit by, I, I think they're repetitive with Aguilar and Cooper. You know, they, they basically, they either at first base or DH and that's it. Yeah. You know, Anderson could DH, he could play third and he's played both corners. Yeah. You know, and he's played center in spring. I wouldn't think that would be more of a one inning emergency thing or, you know, but not, but he can stand out there and catch a ball. It's right to him. Right. Yeah. No, I think with, um, with Miguel and Joey Wendell, for example, like you mentioned, they have the picture perfect platoon opportunity with those two guys. They can both play great short, obviously one better than the other. Brian Anderson is splits the reverse splits. He's much better against righties. To me, the perfect right-handed lineup is with BA at third. You have phenomenal defense there. Joey Wendell at short jazz at second. To me, I don't know how they're just not doing that every single day. Like you said, if they're playing the numbers with some people, why not play them with others? And with Jazz sitting here against lefties, it hurts because he has power and he has speed. You know, so he can maybe get on base, he can maybe hit one out. Miguel Rojas has neither. So it's just tough to defend that argument of starting Miguel Rojas every single day. No, yeah, those, are, and, those are valid. Yeah. Yeah, not only that, I think Wendell should be the starter over Miggy Rowe, honestly. You look at it, you have to put your best hitters on in the lineup every night. You know, and, and I know there's matchups and there's analytics, but if you're trying to win baseball games like Miami's trying to do at the moment. You need to put your best hitters. Joey Wendell arguably has been one of the best hitters on the team. I mean, he's done it all. Defense. He has the speed. He has some power. I mean, he hit a homer in Washington, but that's about it. But Miggy hasn't shown much of anything except good good defense. And I, I just don't know. I think Benfield should look a little bit different with uh, Miggy on the bench and uh, Wendell starting over him at a more consistent rate. I, I think that's how it should look. Like, I don't know if you maybe agree with me or disagree with that. Um, I tell you, well, for one, you know, Wendell's dealt a little bit with the hammy, you know, kind of a yeah. little tight hamstring, which cost him a couple of days uh, at home. Um, he's, to me, he over 162, you're going to have to be careful with him. I think, I'm not sure he's a 150 game guy. I don't think, I think Tampa got the most out of him using him in this type of role. I think the, the thing is, that's kind of complicated things in, in a way and, and this is kind of a, a backward way of saying it is they've been really fortunate. Have been, they haven't had any injuries. Yeah. Normally in the first five weeks of the season, four or five weeks of the season, you have some injuries. So the playing time of, oh, well, we'll carry Dela Cruz early on. We'll play because someone's going to go down. You know, and then that person will come, down, come back, but someone else goes down. As long as everyone's healthy. I and mean, that's what we hope. Obviously, we're not wishing for, for anything to go wrong with these guys. But a lot of times, Kevin, I think I think those things kind of sell themselves just yeah. with injury. I mean, look at look at the the Padres. Tatis has been out all basically all year and, and has caused a different shortstop look. And you know, they're floating things around a little bit. Um the Marlins haven't, you know, they they're in that little bit of a who plays when and when are we looking at matchups, because you know, they that hasn't answered itself. You know, you know, it's like Wendell hasn't been out for two weeks or Mickey hasn't. So you could see who could get hot and and is he going to be hard to get that guy back in the lineup? You, you have Anderson now sitting around. He got up a little slow start. Then he started heating up and now you're playing matchups with him. And, uh, you know, he's got him in left. He got him a third. You know, you you know, see, I, I get all that. But it's like you you're always putting things in motion because you're, you're constantly trying. They're not answering themselves. Yeah, and uh, before we go on to a big weekend that's coming up in, I think, two weeks, uh, who in the minor league farm system has stood out to you? There's Meyer. Brian Hohen's been pretty good this season. There's Edward Girard. There's a lot of guys to name on that minor league system that have really 
proven themselves and have really made a, a name to, to move up in that minor league system and hopefully at some point the major league squad? Uh, I'd have to say Encarnacion. Uh, yeah. I've always been big Gerard Encarnacion fan. I mean, yes, the, you know, Meyer stood out. You know, you, anyone with big numbers. Yeah, I, and I, I guess because I've always been a fan of Encarnacion and thought that, you know, two years ago he was on the brink. Um, and then he started off, you know, making enough contacts, huge for him. But what, what's he hitting now in Pensacola? I mean, he, is, he was really on the tear. And he's reduced that that K rate. And, you know, keep this in mind, you're – He's got easy power. He he goes to right field as easy as left field. A ball just jumps off his bat. You know he could play first. He could play a corner outfield. He, he could be a DH. Um, I'm sure if they were to make him available in the trade, you know he would be highly coveted by teams. Um, and the the question with with Gerard has been enough contact. And I think players like him to to a certain degree, Blade those 24, 25-year-olds that dealt with the pandemic, which, you know, eliminated that year, and, and then you you, you kind of shortened you, – you really chipped in a year of development that those were those guys could have been up to the big leagues already, but they lose like 500 at-bats. And and then, you know, that's what, to me, Gerard, I guess he dealt with a few injuries as well. Uh, just enough consistency, but I'm, I'm a – Big time. If you got power tool, speed tool, you know something like that. Power pitcher, got nasty something. Um, I, I keep an eye on those guys. So I'm, I'm curious to see if this is, you know, when Gerard, you know, does he? I thought he could be going up to AAA, but with uh, Dela Cruz going down, that that probably, you know, I think what would happen if something were to happen with, you know, with, with first base in Miami, with and meaning Lewin could get the call up then Gerard could go to AAA and play first in DH or maybe occasionally see the outfield there. Yeah. And Gerard is someone that you mentioned to me as someone that who might, he who will, he will be a big league regular at some point, but it just might not be with Miami and with all, you know, the congestion in the big league level and the AAA, like you mentioned, it'll be tough to find time for him or tough to find a spot for him to make the major league team at some point. One more guy we want to ask you about on the farm before we move on to just the last part of this, of this great pod, JJ Blade. Still in or are you out? I like him a lot. You know, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, you know, he's another one. What's he, how old is he now? 24, he'll be 25 in October, I think. Um, and, you know, he's another guy lost that that year playing the alternate site. Um, I mean, I was kind of open where when they drafted him, it was so cut and dry. Oh, we're going to take J.J. Blade, And I'm like, yeah. keep an eye on Riley Green and C.J. Abrams. And people were like, you know, shut up. He's a minor. Those are prep guys. And this guy is the college player of the year and all the other good stuff. Um, that said, they took him. He's a hard worker. He's left-hander. He, he has power. He has ability. Um, you know, there's, there's concerns, obviously. Um, I, I, I know that I think there's concerns with, with velocity up and in on him. I think he has holes in the swing. Um, even though he had a good Arizona fall league, he didn't face necessarily the, the best pitching prospects, sure. but you, you deal with what you have to deal with. He, he took some of, some of the wrinkles he was having in his approach. He ironed them out. And I just think, you know, if he's trying to perform to expectation, I hope he just bays JJ Blade doesn't get caught up too much in that because I've seen, I've seen players, I think Isan Diaz, try to live up to reputation, and it ended up crushing him here. Um, that, you know, let Blade just play it out. But, um, you know, it, it's, there's, it's not a guarantee he's going to be 
I think he's a big leaguer, but how good of a big leaguer? You know, it's because I think Riley Green's going to be a really special big leaguer. Yeah, I got to give you credit where credit is due. We, I remember reading your tweets, reading your, you know, your articles about that draft, the 2019 draft. I was all over Riley Green as well. I wasn't as high on CJ Abrams as you were, but I, I did really want Riley Green. And then the 2018 draft, you were like Tristan Casas, man. He was right there. He was right there. And uh, he was right was, there. I just was, look. They, they have their rationale, and and their their amateur side does a remarkable job. I mean, they yeah. got they got Meyer. You know, they got you know they get they get great players. Uh, I just don't know whether they exhaust. I, I just don't know if they just locked in so quickly on Blade at the expense of. Riley Green and C.J. Abrams, and and you know I just think do your due diligence, you know see you know obviously you got to see if you sign him, you see the fit, but I don't like the logic. Oh, he's a high school guy, and, and Connor Scott was a high school guy, yes. uh, so therefore I, I'm a believer. You know if you could get you know you get a superstar player at 18, 19 years old, you know all in on Kahil Watson. I know he's had some ups and downs, but um, you know you gotta you got to get the best player. And yeah. if you're, if you think that's the best player, you know, so be it live with your conviction, but don't say the best player because he's closer to the big right. leagues. You know, I, I, next time someone tells me that closer to big leagues, I may just blow up on the field against somebody, but I yeah. try to reserve uh, my mm-hmm. temper in that regard. But because <laughs> we see, because both those guys, uh, you know, Abrams obviously has reached the big leagues and Green makes the open day lineup if he doesn't foul a ball off his foot, literally yeah. like in the last spring training game. And then yeah. in that same at bat, he hit a triple. He ran and hit a triple and ran out a triple on a broken foot. And um, for I understand, Miguel uh, Cabrera loves him and thinks he's going to be a superstar. Yeah. Um, so you just you just have to do your due diligence and, and don't miss somebody because you locked in on somebody a little too early. Yeah, I think when they saw him, him, um, Jeter... Posada, when they all saw him go five for five in that SEC game, Vanderbilt. Yeah, no, that's not how you evaluate. Yeah, not, you don't got to tell me that. That's not how you evaluate. Uh, you, you don't have to tell me, especially with that little bit. And then Adley Rutschman, obviously, he's reporting that he's getting called up. He'll be making his debut either and tonight. Wits already up here. Vaughn's already up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah. It's looking it's worse yeah. every day. But anyway, to go from sort of a sour topic to something. More favorable, Joe, you were doing this for 18 years for MLB.com, 19 seasons. Share with us, you know, with the listeners, your favorite moment, your most memorable, whether it was Roy Holiday's perfect game. Oh, 03 World Series. 03 World World Series. Series. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, no no doubt. That that was was a magical year. It was my second year on the beat. Mm -hmm. Um, I started in 02. I think that team won like 80 games, 79 or 80 games. So they just were a little under 500. Uh, before that, just background, I used to work at the Tampa Tribune. I covered the NFL. I covered like eight Super Bowls. Uh, I was on the Bucks, And then in my second year on the beat, uh, covering a World Series team was just really probably my journalistic highlight in like almost 40 years at newspapers and, and the Internet at MLB.com is, yeah, with hands down. that To see that team from, you know, it was also the first year they had spring training in Jupiter. When I started in 02, it was the last year they had Jupiter up in Vieira you know, up in Melbourne yeah. area and, yeah. and then going to Jupiter and just seeing, and I remember, uh, I think it was Beckett pitch game one of spring training game. And everyone's like kind of laughing about how bad the Marlins are going to be. And, and I'm just like, it was, like I said, my second year in a beat. And I'm just thinking, this is like day one of the story of the 2003 season. That's how I always approach every year. It's like, I'm, I'm writing a story. This is the first day. This is the f- page one of the story. And then the storyline 
continues on. And, um, and boy, you know, to see how that turned into this a remarkable year to go to, you know, firing Jeff Torborg to go into 10 under with Jack McKeon at 71, who at the time I had no idea was going to be probably my most influential uh, person I've met in baseball, the one who's influenced my thinking and how I see the game just the years I spend talking with Jack and getting his perspective. And and then obviously seeing a young uh, Josh Beckett, a young Dontrell Willis and Miguel Cabrera and all the pros like Lowell and Juan Pierre and Louie and Gonzo and Conine and, uh, you know, just a, a special, special team. And, uh, um, you know, Pudge coming on board and having that one year with him and, uh, and just seeing how they put it together. And I remember I, early in the year we were in New York and I was wearing like I, I worked out at the gym in a hotel and I had like a Marlin shirt on and some guy in the elevator like made a real like a Marlins like in New Yorker in the elevator, like just laughing. And I said something like, eh, they're not bad or whatever. And he just smirked. And after being at Yankee Stadium, seeing them close out the Yankees, I was thinking, I wonder what that guy's thinking right now. Because I guess he didn't see that coming. Uh, so it, it was it was kind of fun to to just see that magical ride that the that the Marlins did. And, and then, you know, I've covered eight or ten Super Bowls, but that World Series – when you actually know the players, like you yeah. to be at that embedded, uh, then it's just to see their journey, uh, the, the biggest thrill I've had in my entire journalistic career. Yeah, I, I, that makes perfect sense. You know, wow, just that's got to be the epitome of like what you know you look for when you get into this industry. That sort of segues to my last question for you. Just you know, any advice you have for you know someone young like Kevin or you know someone that's finishing up college like myself or anyone listening that wants to get into the journalist industry what would you recommend would you recommend it? i know it's changed like you and i spoke about it in the press box the other day it's just not that what it is what it used to be i'm sorry so just whatever advice you want to share yeah uh, you know i think listen not just think you have the answers before listening i think being a good listener uh to just ask a lot of questions don't take everything at face value and if you hear something a point of view you can hear my point of view and say, hey, Joe makes a good point of view. You go find a con you know, conflicting point of view and say, hey, that's an interesting. And then try to form your own basis. But um, I would also advise anyone wanting to do this because it, it used to be a little bit more storytelling, the reporting end of stuff. Um, I would say have some sort of real expertise in whether it's a business or, or whatever. I think I, I give Mike Petriello at MLB.com, a guy I have a lot of respect for, a lot of a lot of credit because he kind of found a role. He's, he's more of a, a data person who could explain, communicate data very effectively, you know, much better than I could ever have done, you know, because I didn't have that mindset. Maybe I could write it better, uh, you know, something, but that, so, you know, have an expertise. I, I think it's also important to uh, not just get so married to the numbers. I think a lot of uh, mm -hmm. the, the Moneyball people that grew up with that and, and put a lot of value in analytics, and I do too, uh, but recognize that there is an evaluation development end that because the data, and I think I think Isaac responded to one of my tweets because I said the data says what you did. It doesn't. Talent says what you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to look at jazz and just if you believe jazz is, you know, a can't hit lefties no matter what, then never let him hit against a lefty. And I will be telling you that would be a tremendous mistake yeah. because a guy with that much talent, that that bat speed, that approach, that inner desire, the guy can hit velocity um, should get opportunity. So you, you know, try to get a 
an eye for some sort of evaluation. And if you can't pick it up by what you can see, talk to those who can and say, hey, is that real? You know, is is that, you know, is there hope there? How did that look? Um, but ask a lot of questions. And, and you know, I think that um, you're then you, you kind of develop your own personality in, into it. You know, I'm hearing a lot of younger people when I'm listening to a lot of these telecasts. That's classic. Um, um, <laughs> for, for those uh, who are watching, I'm sorry, Joe, for those who are watching, the 10-year <laughs> challenge with the GOAT 10 years ago, Joe Pissarro and I versus yeah, well, that must have been one of the minor league camps in Jupiter. Great. Uh, that's a great one. That's a new, I'm going to print that one out and put it on my wall. Yeah, I love the glasses. Those are awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't pull them off. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of girls in, in middle school. In case no, no, I'm sure you did. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, have a passion to whatever, if anything, to anyone. Uh, I remember I was talking to some, you know, my, when my kids were in high school, I was talking to one of their classes who came in and talked journalism at Cooper City High School. And this one girl, she has her head on the table like this. And I'm like I said, are you, you okay? You need a nap? She goes, I'm listening. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, um, so I'm like, I put one to bed already. Uh, but it was like, um, just have a passion for what you do, whether you're going to journalism, whatever, just try to like to do what you do. Um, because I think you become a better employee and be a happier person. If you have a passion for it, you know, uh, uh, whether it's baseball writing or baseball, talking baseball, but, um, but talk to as many people, you know, get as many points of view and learn, because um, I remember Jack McKeon one time telling me that he learned uh, something from like a grounds crew person. Like he was, uh, you know, at one place, uh, he's, he, he didn't mind getting feedback from anybody. You know, journalists would give him, you know, suggestions. He'd maybe incorporate it if it made sense. And he said at one time, a grounds crew mentioned, hey, Jack, you know, uh, over here in left field, uh, this thing kind of, what do you think about this? And it, and it kind of, that guy bringing that to his attention uh, brought up a grounds crew issue because there was like something that was like literally in the field to play. And what if the ball hit that during the game, you know, it would have created an awkward, you know, a grounds crew issue. But if that grounds crew person, if Jack wasn't talking to him about that moment, you know, and this was years ago. Now everything is, yeah. you know, watched so much closely, but you know, there were times when not a lot of thought went into, you know, you know, what is build left field. If the tree was on the field, who cared, you know, uh, you know, so that that type of stuff, you, you could always you could always learn by talking to people at the stadium and, you know, uh, those around the game the most, too. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect way to end it. Joe, uh, if you have anything else to tell the people, thank you for coming on. Uh, it was an honor and it was a great pod. I mean, we, we got to talk about so much topics. So thank you for coming on. If you have anything else to tell the people. No, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I admire both of you guys. Uh, it's great meeting you and getting to know you guys this year and, and enjoying your work. And, uh, and yeah, I'm at the at Man on Second, Man on 2ND. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, the podcast uh, stream there, as well as the Five Reasons Sports uh, YouTube. Uh, we do a couple of po- Man on Second podcasts. And I'm doing a prospect podcast every week with, um, uh, with David Fernandez. That's part of a, it's kind of a joint ML, uh, Man on Second um five reasons production and um you know it's, it's just fun it's fun doing this you know like, like i said i'm happy you guys grew up reading me and now you're kind of hearing me you know it's uh, <laughs> i do like to write but uh it's fun just to kick back and talk it as well yeah uh from from myself kevin isaac joe we'll see you guys all in two weeks peace out and go fish <laughs>